0: Charles Leclerc started on pole at Ferrari's home race, but Max Verstappen sent the Italian fans home disappointed by claiming another easy win. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name is Michael Laminato, and this is round 16, the Italian Grand Prix, powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. There was a glimmer of hope on Saturday night that Ferrari might have turned up just in time to win its home Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc took a meritorious poll on a track that shouldn't have suited the car, and with Max Verstappen starting a penalised seventh, Italian fans dared to dream. Except the pace was an illusion. Verstappen had his car set up perfectly for the race and rapidly recovered to second behind Leclerc, whose car was suffering the same old tyre degradation problems. An early roll of the dice by Ferrari to essentially lock Leclerc into a two-stop strategy in a one-stop race showed up the car's fundamental lack of pace, and defeat seemed certain. That is, until a late-race safety car reset the order. But rather than give Leclerc a shot, race control didn't have time to restart the Grand Prix, leaving the order locked in. And home Italian fans disappointed. Was there anything Ferrari could have done to win this race? To unpack the Grand Prix, I'm joined by Lewis Larkham, F1 editor at Crash.net. Larkers, welcome to the Strategy Report. Thank you for having me. I mean, a great race. Well, not a great race, an interesting race. Let's qualify that, an interesting race to talk about to close the European season for a brief period of time, it seemed like the Ferrari fans who were in maximum force really this weekend for the first time in many years were going to go home happy. I guess they did go home happy if they didn't come back on Sunday, but on Sunday, less a good result for them overall.
1: Yeah, it was it was set up that it looked as though they, they might get the result they they hoped for um, after qualifying on Saturday with uh, Charles Leclerc on, on pole position. Obviously, the, the way the race uh, panned out was a... A different story, and it's obviously a result that we we're, we're getting quite used to now, seeing uh, yeah. Max Verstappen going out on, on top uh, every weekend that's five consecutive wins for him for him now um so yeah not not the result they uh, they came to see in the end um but <laughs> I feel like that kind of felt a little bit inevitable mm,
0: yes, I think that is fair it's worth saying here as well, you know Ferrari have had a couple of bad runs of races now, and we'll go into this in a little bit more detail, but they did highlight this as a Grand Prix they really wanted to strike back because they've been beaten around the last couple of races. Zandvoort was supposed to be a track they were going to do well at, didn't win that one either. In fact, weren't even really in contention by the end of it. It's been a bit of a blur the last two races. Uh, The details will come to be in time. But it was an interesting race for them to target to strike back because on paper, weird though this is to say, considering what we've known about Red Bull in the last years, but this is now a Red Bull kind of circuit, high speed, low downforce, low drag.
1: Yeah, it's funny because this is a a circuit that traditionally Red Bull have struggled at. Mm. Um and top speed has not been one of their their strengths previously. Uh, particularly with the the Renault engine they they used to really struggle around Monza. Um but but that's really swung around this year and and now high speed circuits we've seen them performing really strongly at. Uh and and that was the case again here. But but interestingly on Friday actually uh, Red Bull weren't uh, quickest in the in the top speed in the speed traps, um, and Ferrari looked to have the edge on on Friday, and and that did translate into qualifying in the end um, in terms of ultimate qualifying pace. Uh, but then, obviously, in the, in the race, uh, Verstappen and Red Bull just had too too much pace in the end. But it was it was obviously a hugely important race for Ferrari, uh, being their home home race in front of the Tifosi, huge expectations. So, so yeah, but as uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, Red Bull just they just don't un, seem unbeatable at the moment. I think Lewis Hamilton alludes to that after the race; said it would be very difficult for Mercedes to look at getting a win this year because the the top speed, particularly of the Red Bull, is is so strong. Mm-hmm. um it, it kind of <laughs> it doesn't matter where Verstappen starts now, as we've seen in the in the last few races.
0: Yeah, of those last five you mentioned in a row, three of them have been won. Off the top of my head, seventh was, of course, yesterday, or on Sunday, I should say. Spa was 13th, uh, and Hungary would have been 10th. 10th, 10th yeah. I mean, that's really says it all, don't you? And considering yeah. Hungary, for example, track traditionally not one for overtaking, uh, and even Spa, okay, is a bit more overtaking friendly, but that's a long way back to come to win a race. There is a certain air of unbeatableness about them, but there are harder tracks coming up. I know Christian Horner said after the race, well, the next one's Singapore, very different track again, but I don't know, I wouldn't want to bet on anything at this point. (laughs) Worth noting here as well, this was a race track in which Max Verstappen had never stood on the podium, just to highlight and emphasise the fact that Red Bull's traditionally not a car that does go well around here. Now, part of the reason they didn't look good on Friday as you raised, was because they knew they were carrying penalties into this race. Far from the only team. Both Red Bull drivers carried penalties. Theirs were among the smaller... Ones to be carried, it was five for Max and 10 for Sergio Perez. Engine related problems, but for the second time in three races, the last one being Spa, we had a whole bunch of drivers taking penalties. I think it was actually worse this time around because more of them didn't go to the back of the grid like they did in Spa, which was relatively easy to figure out. And there were two levels to this, I guess, wasn't there? One was that no one seemed to know what the grid was going to look like, but second is that you know, we're quite deep into these engine regulations, and it's not every year we're doing this, but we do keep getting these races where everyone takes penalties and it makes you wonder, well, if everyone's going to take a penalty, what's the point of it?
1: Yeah, I, well, again, we had, what was it, almost almost half the grid in the end taking mm. taking penalties here at Monza and it was a similar similar story at Spa. Obviously, there are certain tracks that the, the teams pinpoint as the ones that make sense to take these penalties where overtaking opportunities are a greater, Spa and, and Monza are, t- are two of those whereas you've got these more technical, tricky circuits coming up with um, Singapore and Japan. You you don't want to be starting from the back of the grid there. So from from that point of view, it make, it makes sense. But yeah, we, we were left with this situation where I think three drivers had official back of the grid penalties, yeah. but as you say, uh, only one of them actually started <laughs> in twentieth, and it was a uh, there was some real confusion on on Saturday after qualifying. It. it it took, I think, over three hours in the end for mm. us to to receive a um, a provisional grid uh, from the FIA and to actually know where everybody would be starting on yeah. Sunday. And there was some, yeah, real sort of confusion over. Max was convinced he was starting from seventh. Mm. Um, I think Fernando said yeah. that he yeah. he was starting from seventh, and we had um, Pierre Gasly even tweeting to, to ask where was he starting <laughs> from? Because so that, you know, that just goes to show how like, even the drivers themselves mm. aren't you know, are fully aware of these rules and how they work. And you know, we, we were all trying to work it out in the media center. Mm. Everybody was at a loss to, to really figure out exactly how the grid would be formed. Um, so it, it is something that I think probably needs to be looked into going yeah, yeah. forwards to, I've, personally don't know what the the solution is but it's it's just becoming a bit of a mess and a bit farcical for for the fans as well where we've we've got qualifying and then it's taking 3 4 hours afterwards mm-hmm. until we actually know how the grid's going to line up so yeah i think probably needs looking into but yeah. as i said how how we actually Solve this. I'm, I'm not too sure. <laughs>
0: yes, well, it, it's a problem when you do have half the grid, almost half the grid, starting in different positions. Weirdly, I think it was in Spa, wasn't it, when no one started where they qualified? At least we got, uh, well, Charles Leclerc started where he qualified, and I guess technically, well, no, the people that, who went to the back didn't start where they qualified, but at least you knew they were going there. Everyone else was just a little bit of a mess uh, in this race. And yeah, it's a penalty system that I, I guess wasn't really built to penalise so many drivers with such a variety of penalties. It's not as if everyone took 10 places and you can just figure it out. You had 5s and 10s. And, Gearbox
1: penalties yeah, thrown into the mix as well.
0: Exactly. And even the way that we calculate back of the grid seems to be something that was raised in SPA because if you took your penalties in a certain order, you only got 20 or 25 or even 30 places but not back of the grid, which actually meant you started ahead of some people. It's a little bit, could use some fine-tuning, think it's fair to say but that's a probably a story for a different day there is a team principals meeting this week in fact I don't know if grid penalties are on the agenda but well someone should put it on there uh,
1: at least we had Shaw Leclerc starting on, yes. on pole where, where he was meant to on merit yes. uh that like, as you say that 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 was the difference from Spa where literally nobody started where, yes. they, where they were meant to so we at least had that this time but mm. yeah it, it's something that definitely needs in, looking into doesn't it
0: yeah, now Charles Leclerc qualifying and starting on pole position, the the rightful place for him, I guess, considering his qualifying result, was that little bit of hope, I guess, for the Ferrari fans, wasn't it? That actually they were turning up here. There's a little bit of paddock speculation. Their engines were turned up a little bit higher than usual because it was their home race. Nothing wrong with that. You can use your engines however you like. Certainly, they've had enough failures anyway this year. I don't know if another one's really going to be a massive problem for them. And Carlos Sainz took an engine penalty this weekend as well. Anyway. It looked like, and to go back to what you were mentioning about Friday practice, that maybe they had just made everything click again. It's because it's been really since the Hungarian Grand Prix that they've looked a little bit off the boil. Prior to Hungary, though, they had generally or often the quickest car, not at every track, but usually was the case. So there was this little bit of hope that maybe they'd, they'd rediscovered that form. But Red Bull, knowing that they had those penalties, was really more preparing for the race when and that's what we were starting to see in and Saturday. And, tragically what many ferrari fans discovered on sunday
1: yeah i I think that that's the key it it looked as though i mean in you know throughout friday practice and and in qualifying red bull weren't that far behind um ferrari but it did uh, appear as though they were you know tuning the car for the race and and that's really where they've been at their the strongest the rb18 has been particularly strong on the sunday and and that reflects in you know the fact that max has only only had four pole positions this year yeah, compared to Charles's eight and yet he's won 11 of the 16 <laughs> okay. races we've Ooh. had so far this season so it again sort of as I mentioned earlier there was a sense of inevit- inevitability about about how the race was going to pan out despite Verstappen starting from from seventh on the grid um but but yeah I I think Ferrari <laughs> they gave the home fans that glimmer of hope that they could get that. That's. I think it would have been their second win in in three three years. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen was the last, think, was the yeah. last one, and th- only their third in the last decade, which incredible. is yeah, in- incredible. But um, obviously, the just that the the race pace of Verstappen and mm. the top speed was just yeah, just too much to for for anybody to to compete with. And you know, Verstappen was I think he was up to third by the. First corner of the second lap, wasn't he? Yeah. He'd he'd flown past the, <laughs> the first few cars uh, before the parabolica, and then I think got the run on Ricardo into turn one, and then he was up to third. And obviously by that stage, Leclerc had only pulled a couple of seconds up the road, um, and from there, it re- you know, you really felt as this this was probably uh, only going <laughs> to go one yeah. way, um, especially after he got past uh, George Russell within a few laps, and and then it was a real sort of setting up the fight between between Leclerc. And uh, Verstappen for the win.
0: The confidence of Verstappen after qualifying, I thought, was really telling. He knew, obviously, he knew he wasn't on for pole anyway because of that penalty. But despite not being the quickest driver, it seemed extremely cool and collected about that. actually reminded me a little bit of Charles Leclerc in Austria earlier this year, where he didn't win the sprint, but he was so confident in the race he was going to win. And in the end, actually, absolutely had the car to deliver on that. And I think that just really goes to show you how confident Red Bull was in the work that they were doing on Friday. right? Like they'd, and in a, in a funny enough way, we talk about this not traditionally being a Red Bull track, but certainly is this year. They still won it kind of in a Red Bull way because they run it by adding a little bit more downforce to the car. And the car seemed pretty happy with that, Resultedly, looked after its tyres. And as a result, that race pace was extremely impressive. Even in those first few laps, okay, you could see Verstappen was certainly going to be quicker, but track position is still important in Formula 1, even though the straight line difference uh, between Red Bull and Ferrari maybe wouldn't have made it a super close race, but you, need, you never know till you get there. In fact, 2019, when Leclerc won, I mean, his was the slowest car and he saw off Lewis Hamilton regardless. But lap 12 is when the race really unraveled for Ferrari in a big way, the virtual safety car for Sebastian Vettel's Aston Martin. There was a decision to be made, Ferrari consulted with Leclerc about it, made the call, went to that medium tyre. And this is where already we started to feel like, all right, Ferrari is doing what Ferrari does here.
1: It did feel a bit like that, especially as we, I think we were, we started on plan A for Ferrari <laughs> yes. and then we yeah. skipped straight to, to plan C in the end. I, th- I think we completely bypassed plan B. <laughs> and yeah, there was this, this back and forth again between the pit wall and the driver. And mm. there does seem to be a bit of a, a lack of, of um that decision making from from the pit wall, whereas you look at other teams look at red Bull that they 're so much more decisive in the way they handle their strategy, whereas Ferrari, the last few races have just been constantly going there 's been this back and forth between driver and team mm. checking you know is is this okay? should we do this and yeah, in the end they they rolled the dice and they they committed to uh running the two stop strategy, which looked on paper like the worst one to go for it looked like this would be a nailed on a one stop and they, they they used that opportunity they committed under the virtual safety car they were a bit unfortunate with the timing of the virtual safety car because yeah. the, uh, Leclerc didn't gain that full benefit because it mm-hmm. end the timing of the of when it ended just as he was coming into the pits and they didn't get that that full benefit that you'd you'd have of sort of having that free free pit stop um, but for but from there Leclerc was, um yeah. I mean, Red Bull had the had the one stop, and Max found that was in the lead, and it, it you just never really felt that Leclerc had that pace to. Mm. Even though it was quite an aggressive strategy, and Leclerc was on the on the medium tyres, there was that twenty second gap in the uh, second stint, and he was never really eating into that. He he started off, yeah. You know, I think it was. He, gained around half a second on max and then max was able just to to keep that keep that gap pretty steady and and there was no real sense that ferrari were making any inroads there um so i don't think it was a a mistake from ferrari as such i I, whereas you know we've seen in hungary and previous races there have been clear cut strategic errors or you know things have gone wrong for them in in that sense but i think they they took a gamble today but um ultimately it it didn 't look I think they, it didn 't matter what strategy they they played at the end of the day. It seemed as though ultimately Red Bull had just too much pace and and Verstappen seemed comfortable out front regardless really um,
0: yeah. yeah it's a good point that especially in that period of time in what I guess the intermediate scene let 's say after Leclerc had made his stop but Verstappen had not yet around about a 12-lap difference, or was it lap 12 to lap 25 between them? Yeah. I think Verstappen lost only about three seconds to Leclerc from memory, uh, which, is not a, which is not enough. While the soft tyre uh, was on Verstappen's car, it was obviously ageing by then, and Leclerc had the new mediums, which was always going to be the backbone tyre of this race. The Ferrari looked all right on softs, so although at the end of the race, it turns out they weren't even really all right on soft, so there is that. But it was clear that that pace was lacking. And Actually, again, to go back to Austria, when... Ferrari did run this more aggressive strategy fundamentally. I remember thinking at that time they were stopping earlier and gambling a lot, but their pace there was just so good that they could easily make it happen. You could tell very early on, as you said there, sort of in the first five laps of this, this gamble, that it just didn't feel like that pace was enough. And it always seemed unlikely they were going to make it to the end of the race with that medium tyre and in the end that wasn't Yeah, I
1: think Leclerc would have had to do 41 laps. Yeah, uh, on I the mediums so, yeah. to, to to make that to make that last, so that did seem particularly ambitious. But yeah. yeah, maybe there was a sense of looking back at what happened in Austria and that you know Leclerc there had to overtake Max three times in the end. But as you mm-hmm. said, the the pace of the Ferrari on that day was was so strong that he he could do that. Whereas here the Red Bull had the advantage, and mm-hmm. it, ultimately I think that was the the key the key factor. Uh, and and as, as I said, I don't, don't I think it really would have made much of a difference. Um, in the end, regardless of how Ferrari played it, they, they took a gamble. Um, you know, they went aggressive trying to win their home race and it it didn't work out, but I don't think the blame lies too much with them this time around, but for once.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that is a, it is a good point because it's very tempting to say, well, it is another mistake, but I thought there were two things really telling after the race one, and I know everything that Christian Horner says one should take with a grain of salt but was asked, would you have stopped had they not stopped at lap 12? And he would have said absolutely yes, which might also talk to the decisiveness you mentioned earlier. We don't know how it would have played out, of course, because it didn't, but they would have gone for that option. Uh, alternatively, Ferrari, Mattia and Otto said that, well, it was clear to them by that point they were the slower car and you can't beat a faster car with the same strategy because inevitably we would have seen, as we've already talked about, Max probably slipstreaming past or, depending on when the stops sort would of have happened, undercutting and nothing would have been gained from that. So you can't blame them too much for going for a strategy, even if it was a little bit optimistic. And they did say, and this is what we did end up seeing towards the end almost, that at least with this strategy, potentially a safety car would play in their favour because they would have that window at the end of the race where they had fresher tyres. Now, we did get the safety car. Ironically, it did not help Ferrari, unfortunately, because the gap was so large then that a free pit stop was always going to be coming Max Verstappen's way. And that was, the, that was sort of the crucial part, just before we get to the safety car, wasn't it, that Leclerc then put on those soft tyres with about 20 laps to go, emerged with just under 20 seconds in deficit. And even I expected, despite the car being slower, for him to at least make inroads, and maybe similar to, let's say, Hamilton in in Zandvoort, where, okay, after that virtual safety car, it seemed like the odds were against him, but he was closing the gap. We didn't even really see this from Ferrari, and this, for me, was... More than anything else, more than just simply not winning the race, the more devastating part because this is when that car should undoubtedly have been faster. And actually, we saw laid pretty bare the pace of these two machines, and there was there was no competition.
1: Yeah, that that was the real surprise, wasn't it? I mean, seeing the clerk come out on softs, there was a, you know you really felt like we could have been in for a, mm. a you know exciting end to the race. And he, as you say, he should have really been able to to close that gap with the tyre difference, but. But Verstappen was able to, to to keep the gap and and maintain it and and then it became clear that yeah this this was only going one way and as you say that would have been the real disappointment from Ferrari to take away from this race is just the the realization of of how fast the the Red Bull is at the moment um, so yeah that that was that was the the biggest sort of probably disappointment they'll take away from this I think
0: and that is and to to wrap up sort of that advantage. We talk a lot about aero efficiency, particularly now with regard to that Red Bull car, because it is quick in a straight line, but is still capable of adding some extra downforce to protect the tyres, as was the case here. We could see it in that first stint, Leclerc's tyres were degrading more than Verstappen's, even again towards the end, the fact the softs were no match for Verstappen's mediums. uh, Just talks about that this car has become really adaptable, and it sort of strikes me that I mean, it's been quite a dramatic year for performance swings. Maybe it hasn't felt like it because it's been the top two cars always competing and it does feel like momentum's just going Red Bull's way. But at the start of the year, it felt a lot like the Ferrari was the adaptable car. For a period of time, it was the reliable car. That changed pretty quickly. Uh, And also the car that kind of worked at most places and was the most easy to be developed. You know, they didn't bring so many developments, but every one they brought seemed to work. And Red Bull, I don't know, maybe for a month, I don't want to say they were in any sense, desperate or certainly not panicking, but we're just throwing a lot at the car. And occasionally they'd have these really unusually bad races. Looking at this season now, I mean, this is no blip, is it? We've got five races where there's been only one answer to every question posed in the race. And it does just feel like the, the, the scenario we were thinking for the next couple of years with these rules at the beginning of the year is just not the scenario we're facing anymore.
1: Yeah, it does really feel like Bull have, have taken that step forward and, and have got the edge in in this fight now um as you say at the start of the season it looked as though Ferrari had the quickest car um but Red Bull have have turned that around and and that's no you know that that's why we're seeing the results we are now um they seem to just have got that car in a great window and particularly for for Verstappen he's just able to to find the right setup dial it in and is ridiculously fast and and yeah, I, one of the key things I think was at the start of the season, Red Bull's car was over overweight, wasn't it? And yeah. and, and Max has talked about this in the last few races. And uh, that's something they've been really focusing on, shedding the weight from the car. Um, and they've been able to dial out that understeer and get the car into that sort of perfect window for, for, for Max's liking. And, and the results have, have, have come. Um, and now it, it just looks as though... They seem to be getting quicker and quicker
0: yeah.
1: every 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 race, and uh, Ferrari do seem to be falling behind a, a bit. But but interestingly, not over one lap, because mm. a, as we've touched on, you know Leclerc is is still getting pole positions and has more than than uh, Verstappen. But really, it's all about the setup and fine tuning for the race. That's where mm-hmm. the Red Bull has has been in its strongest. But you you do sort of look at these regulations now and and sort of going forwards and and thinking that Red Bull have really got a handle on this and you wonder how the next couple of years might yeah. might yeah. <laughs> shape out because it's it's almost looking like they've sort of you know potentially going to be on a bit of a dominant run and Mercedes have a lot to find um, going into next season to mm-hmm. to you know hopefully from a, a neutral point of view, make it a three way fight next year um and and give Red Bull and, and Ferrari some some competition. But as it stands, it's just so hard to look beyond that that package of of Red Bull and, and Max Verstappen. It's it's yeah, it's incredible at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I mean we're not going to talk too much about Mercedes this week, obviously, because they had quite a quiet rate. Well, Hamilton recovered quite a lot, but really that pace was again in its own category of between the front runners and the midfielders and that just tells it's just you, consistently
1: yeah. th- third fastest yeah. isn't it really yeah A but clear of the midfield pack but not quite on the level of the Ferrari and the Red Bull though we have seen those odd couple of races where yeah. you know Silverstone Zandvoort where the Mercedes ha- has looked competitive enough to potentially win
0: yeah and this is the This is really laying it bare, I think. I mean, Monza is not a typical track, obviously. It's one of the more extreme ones on the calendar, obviously being extremely high speed. But it feels like we have three distinct cars here. We've got Red Bull that is very much faster, Ferrari with with ground to make up, Mercedes with even more ground to make up. And it really struck me that this week, you know, a lot of the talk for the middle part of this season in particular has been about how Ferrari is handing Red Bull the title a little bit because if you add up the points, particularly for unreliability, and then strategy mistakes, and then on top of that, even for some driver error, wow, that, this massive points gap we're facing now would be much closer. But in the last few races in particular, and I think this one hammered at home, because it was pretty, like, you know, putting aside the, the penalty for Verstappen, which ultimately counted for nothing after one or two laps, it was a pretty normal race, all things considered. And it's just clear that the Red Bull car is just faster now. And it's ironic, you know, okay, we're talking about the strategy report, some of these races increasingly are no longer really about strategy. We can talk about Ferrari's mistakes. We can talk about you know, great blinders played by Red Bull, but the car is just faster now. We're just in a phase now where the Red Bull is the fastest car and it's going to take a lot to undo it. Singapore will be interesting because that is an extreme track in completely the other direction, but that remains to be seen. I think you'd still be brave to bet against Red Bull. I want to talk about this end of the race now because this has been one of the talking points of the race. Probably says much about the action beforehand, but anyway... The safety car that emerged lap 48 for Daniel Ricciardo's stopped car on lap 47, he stopped uh, around about the second Lesmo, somewhere around that point of the track. The safety car was exactly what Ferrari was hoping for, that it would close the field, that have the fresher tyres, but of course, as we said, the gap was too big, Verstappen was always going to get the free stop, came to nothing anyway. But the race was never restarted, and yes, there, some people have had some PTSD flashbacks from Abu Dhabi last year. Uh, the rules were followed, the race was not restarted. But that seems to have caused in itself quite a bit of consternation, the fact that the rules were followed exactly and there was no time for racing. Obviously, the fans are not happy to see no racing at the end. That's understandable. Everyone wants to see racing. But are surprised how big an issue this has become now, considering that, in my opinion anyway, in years past, this would have just been, well, the race is over and that's the way it is?
1: Yeah, I mean, you look back to, to previous uh, events and in 2012 the brazilian grand prix and mm. indeed that season ended under the safety car and there was no you know no anger or uproar about mm. the way that season ended i think the real turning point came last year in 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 baku wasn't it with yeah. michael Massey's sort of stance on trying to ensure that races end under green flag conditions um and that i think that might have been the sort of the trigger point for this debate now, mm-hmm. in the sense that there's this urgency to get races finished, and I think that's that's where the view the view has changed, and, and now it's well, if there's a safety car, we need to we need to get the race going again and finish under racing conditions. Um, but as you say, ironically, despite the sort of anger and the the questions that have been th- thrown at this, all the procedures were correct and mm-hmm. the way the race ended was was correct unlike of course in abu dhabi last year mm-hmm. um with the controversial end there so this time around the fia actually got it right it was just the f- a combination of factors ultimately at the end of the day it was simply ran out of laps to to get the race restarted but it was that combination of the issues uh removing danny ricardo's car because it was i think it was stuck in gear wasn't yeah. it so that made the removal particularly difficult and time consuming um the field was quite stretched out the safety car did pick up george russell instead yeah. of instead of verstappen which didn't help um and and just all of these sort of combination of of factors plus with the time ticking down in terms of laps it just meant that it was there was no time to to get the race restarted but had there been enough laps the the field would have Unlap themselves, and we would have we would have gone racing again. But from a procedural point of view, it was it was right. It was accurate. So, but I guess yeah, there'll be. There's all this talk now of what? Where do we go from here? Do we? Do, do, does something need to be changed? You know, talk of if we get to a certain point with the race from remaining, is it just an immediate red flag scenario and a standing restart? Um, personally, I'm. I don't like the idea of 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 that and this sort of artificial mm. creation towards the end of the race um but that's just that's just my my opinion but um yeah it's certainly thrown open this debate now as to whether anything needs to be changed or how it can be looked at going forward
0: yeah i thought it was really interesting the fa felt like it needed to respond after the race because there was some criticism of it despite the rules all being followed there was some criticism that it seemed to take quite a while to clear the car, which had answered, as you said, by saying the car was stuck in gear, much harder to, to remove, couldn't just be rolled away, as we saw with Sebastian's car, for example, under a VSC, so that explained that. Didn't explain why the safety car picked up George Russell. Sometimes it is just the timing of the deployment, but that certainly cost probably a lap uh, in terms of letting the cars that were then out of position to recirculate and get behind the leaders. And as a result, we probably had one lap too few, because of course there is the rule, which uh, was uh, bent, uh, let's say, in Abu Dhabi, which was you need to wait a lap before you can restart uh, a full lap behind the safety car, which is uh, a different debate. I want to prosecute the Abu Dhabi thing, but that's its own kind of thing. But I did think it was interesting that it, the FIA felt a need to respond, and in its response, and I thought, which goes to your point, it said that its only priority is safety and recovering the cars. And this is a response to this idea that, well, they should have just red-flagged the race because they said quite correctly this was not a red flag incident there was no crash damage there was no barrier damage it was just a car that needed to be recovered from the track in no other circumstance would that ever be a red flag issue and i and this is me interpreting or reading between the lines uh, or maybe not even reading between the lines interpreting what i want from their statement i think which is to say that it's not the FIA's job to create some kind of spectacle it is their job to recover the car and ensure the safety of the race which, as you said, and I think I'm of the same opinion, is absolutely correct. It's not shouldn't be up to the regulator or race control to be like, oh, well, wow, pretty exciting if we had another standing restart here, wouldn't it? Because then, you know, I don't want to sound uh, alarmist, but where would that end? You know, where what then? What other rules would we be changing to be like? Wow, it'd be more exciting if after every safety car we had a standing restart. And then you're like, you, you end up much.
1: opening that can of worms, don't you? And and it's at the end of the day, it's that is this is this. Uh, a sport or is it entertainment obviously it's trading that fine line of trying to be both but they you know particularly the way yeah the, the, the end of last season ended and it, if we get into that situation where we're starting to throw red flags or trying to rush safety car restarts there is that artificial element to it mm-hmm. and i i don't think we should be <laughs> if we should be going down that that yeah. road it's it's that that's taking away fr- from from what it what it is it, mm-hmm. what the sport is in its in its essence and yeah it's that it's that <sighs> got to be careful going going down that road haven't we in terms of does it just become about being entertaining or mm-hmm. are we keeping the the sport as it as it is in its core yeah. of course, course it's, its a essence. sport that is entertaining it doesn't it, have to it, it, be naturally exactly
0: it's all like first and foremost and. You know, to take yesterday's race as a, as a prime example and to emphasize as well, I should say, even before I get to that point, you know, a safety car, it's right in the name, it is about safety. It's not The safety car is not designed to spice up the action. It is designed it's not for fun. For a re- it's not for fun. The fact that we do get uh, a f- fun if it's restarted is like a bonus, but it's not the point of it. It's the reason we also have a VSE is that we can actually do something that's in between without absolutely, essentially restarting the race. But to go to, to last year's ending had there been no safety car, Max would have just won by 16 seconds, which is also not exciting. So it's sort of like, we shouldn't feel a need to generate excitement when the alternative, had there been, had had Ricardo's car not stopped, we would have had no excitement anyway in the conclusion, because Max would have just, you know, romped a 15 second victory, or whatever it would have been, and it's and that's also fine, you know. Not every race needs to come down to the last corner of the last lap. Quite.
1: I mean, you look at you look you compare it to other sports, and you look at football. You get you get boring nil nil. Yeah. Where there's no action, but we don't start saying, "Oh well, we need to dramatically change mm. the rules of football and suddenly have a you know in a, in a league match, and we have a penalty shootout to decide the yeah. the winner of the, the game because it's not a satisfactory ending." Mm. So, yeah. It- <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree uh, with with that.
0: It will be interesting to see. There is a meeting this week uh, of the team principals, the FIA. There are a lot of things on the agenda. It's not for this, but uh, Christian Horner said things like this will be discussed. Andreas Seidel said as well that actually after Abu Dhabi, there had been a a voting process to decide if the rules needed to be changed and the idea of red flagging races was raised and, and it was essentially voted against. It was not part. Obviously, the rules aren't changed from last year, so obviously nothing was changed. And I think that just goes to the point, while sometimes the teams do agree to some weird stuff, that even that I think a lot of them still seem like they're. it's not so comfortable. And really, again, to go back to Christian Horner, who, yes, can't always agree with him, but I think he does raise a good point, which is just that had the safety car period been a little bit more efficient, we probably would have had a race anyway, or a lap, one or two laps at the end, and then there wouldn't be so many complaints. So I think an imperfect execution, but not really a a problem of regulations at this point. But I do always get worried that sometimes everyone feels like a need to to change the rules here, don't they? So we'll just wait and see. That was how Verstappen won the Italian Grand Prix. George Russell finished a quiet third, as we mentioned. Massive race for Carlos Sainz. Made all 14 overtakes in the first stint. I just want to mention him briefly before we wrap this up because normally we assume that strategy was part of that. He recovered to fourth before any pit stops, which just shows that, okay, the Ferrari is not the fastest car, but there is still a massive gap between those top two and everybody else.
1: Yeah, exactly that. It just goes to show how, as you say, that that, that, that performance gap between those sort of top two, if you include Mercedes in that, and then the rest. Mm. Um, science was just absolutely flying in that, in that first stint and was just carving his way through the field of ease. Um, as you say, it, it does show that the Ferrari, you know, would, it is a very fast racing car at the end of the day, um, but yeah, it was really impressive to see how easily Science was able to make his way through, and really, really impressive drive from him to mm-hmm. to recover in the in the end. Because um, yeah, that gave gave Ferrari a little a little bit of a <laughs> after the disappointment of losing the race. At least you know a, a good strong points haul for them, um, given where he where he started.
0: To touch on Lando Norris briefly as well, who overcut Pierre Gasly in the end because Gasly got stuck behind Ricardo and the DRS train several midfielders were worried about. Uh, That's how he managed to to finish ahead of Gasly, score some decent points for McLaren. And the final note I do want to make is Nick De Vries, who had a great debut race, points on debut for Williams, was the standard one-stop strategy soft to medium, but just a great defensive drive. Yes, this DRS train was still a problem or slipstream train, whatever we want to describe it as. Uh, but he used that perfectly, considering he was not overwhelmed for his first race a- and did really solidly. Considering this is almost a bit of an audition for next year for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, if as you say, if this was an audition for next year, I think he's passed it with flying colours. Um, he, yeah, he was on a coffee break in in yeah. the in the in the paddock club. I, I think he said when uh, he got the call from Mercedes about what was it an hour and a half before mm-hmm. uh, FE three that he'd be he'd be driving and yeah, really impressive performance from him all weekend to jump into the car obviously he he does know that car he's driven fp1 in uh, barcelona in the williams um but of course on friday he was driving the aston martin so a completely different car and he's swapped into the williams at short notice um great performance in qualifying outperforming nicholas latifi and then a really strong drive in the race really impressive as you say defensive uh driving as well to to keep uh, I think it was Joe Guan Yu behind. Mm. Um so yeah, no, a a dream a dream debut for him, wasn't it, in the end. Yeah. And uh it's a little bit embarrassing for Nicholas Latifi, his wow. teammate, to have uh, to have been beaten so convincingly mm. by a driver making his debut that weekend. So just and it also shows I think that the Williams isn't that bad a car. Not on a track
0: like and, this.
1: And not yeah. on a track like this, we we saw Alex um Albon, obviously he was ruled out with appendicitis, but he was looking very fast on Friday and the Williams was right up there consistently in the, in the top 10. So, yeah, this was a particularly strong track for Williams. Um, but it's, nonetheless, that doesn't take anything away from the performance of DeVries to, to, yeah. to convert that um, top 10 start into, into points.
0: Yeah, did really well. Interesting to see if he gets a seat for next year. That's the end of the triple header. We're moving on to the flyaway races now. I think we all know what's coming in the next couple of races probably a championship maybe two before too long great to chat with you Larkas about the Italian Grand Prix
1: yeah thank you for having me on it's been great
0: for the fifth race in a row the SF75 was shown up as being too slow to compete with the RB18 Having spent so much of the year with the quicker car, this, more than any strategy mistakes or even losing in front of the Ferrari chairman and Italian president, will concern Mattia Bonotto and his team most ahead of the rest of the year and next season. Thanks very much to Lewis Larkham for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeafCal Cal in the Xero app store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a Beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll be back in a few weeks for the return of the Singapore Grand Prix.